And I'm, I'm like, I'm not even in LA, <laughs> you know? So I, for two years, solid two years, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna study this. I'm gonna study, I'm gonna put all my heart into it. And actors get a lot of times in their own head because they're so concentrated on their words and their, their part. But so much of acting is reactive. Mm -hmm. So I sometimes like to mix it up and make the actors play different roles. Oh, nice. Pick up the other part because that forces you to listen mm -hmm. to your other performer. Right. So it puts you in the seat versus getting too much like, what do I say next? What do I do next? It's so locked into it. So what it is people love to knock you down and, and, and make you feel like a failure and make you make mistakes and stuff like that. But you have to stick to your guns, remember what your vision was in the first place, and you just battle through that. And you kind of take the rejection of the You know, if you're too sensitive, you'll be destroyed. Welcome to episode 14 of 1,000 Failures Becoming an Actor. And I'm your host, Darius Marcellin. And today I have director slash writer, Rolf Konevsky, on deck. He is here with the lead in his movie, The Art of Dead, Zach, who is also uh, one of my good friends because we went to college together back in New York. So a little reunion here. And Zach and Rolf talk a lot about their movie, The Art of Dead. Zach, Zach talks about the process of just being an actor. It was his first time as a lead first film, first feature film. So he talks a lot of about being green, filming this movie with, you know, a, on 40 something days or however long it was, he was on set. It was just a good experience hearing what it was like being a new actor on set. And then Rolf talks a lot about be, uh, about directing some of the techniques he uses to direct. So if you are interested in learning about directing, Rolf shares a lot of gems on this episode. He talks about just the wisdom of the industry, of the acting industry or the entertainment industry, how you could use certain tools to network and just um, get yourself out there and just stay in the game. And he gives some really inspirational feedback on it. I know the audio quality on Rolf's mic is a little bit off than it usually is, but bear with me, I promise you, is good information. This is another motivational podcast episode, and stay tuned because I have another podcast series coming out called I Am A Dreamers, so I just wanted to throw that one in there before we start this episode. I know Rolf and Zach are ready, so let's go. Hey, live. All right, guys. So we have Ralph and my boy Zach here. Hey. Zach and I went to college together in New York. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah. a fun fact as we go along the way. I'm from yeah. New York, too. All right. Yeah, I was I was trying to make out your hat. At first, every hat I see, I look to see if it's a Yankee hat. Yeah. It wasn't a Yankee yeah, yeah, hat. Yeah, no. They lost yeah. last night. Um, but oh, where in New York? I grew up in uh, Westchester, uh, just the suburbs of yeah. my, uh, Yonkers and Scarsdale. Yeah, I played soccer, so I traveled to like play against Iona and just like little oh, yeah. teams up there. So, sure, oh, so. and he made it way to LA. And then I moved to LA back in 94, 1994. Yeah. I've been here for it's right around the corner. Yeah. Ain't too, ain't too bad. <laughs> you just like rest. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I mean, we were talking about the art of dead and that's the movie you directed of. Zach, you acted in. Mm -hmm. I, I'm waiting to see it because I'm waiting on my brother to come and we just watched 
horror films together. So I'm a big horror films fan. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking it in. He told me about it. Cool. Gave him big congrats on Instagram, etc. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ralph, tell me a little bit about directing this film, personally, and then I'll ask you some follow-up questions about directing in general. Sure, sure. Um, well, this project started with, um, I, I worked with um, <clears throat> two producers in Vegas, uh, called the Mahal Brothers, uh, Michael and Sonny Mahal, and uh, we'd worked for the last couple of years, and I did a movie with them called uh, Bus Party to Hell, which was a really over-the-top horror comedy <laughs> splatter, like Sam Remy splatter fest. Um, and then they wanted to do another horror film, uh, and they, we pitched them ideas back and forth. They finally threw out an idea about an art collector who buys these paintings that start to kill him and his family. And I thought that was intriguing because I um, was a big fan of an old television show, uh, Rod Serling's The Night Gallery. Okay. Uh, it's what he did after The Twilight Zone. That doesn't have a big reputation, but it was a cool little show about paintings and stuff. So I said, oh, that's interesting. So I can kind of do an homage to some of that stuff. So... They gave me the freedom. I wrote the screenplay, and uh, they were happy with it. And then they are pretty amazing at raising money and doing stuff on Indiegogo and getting the community behind it. So they were able to put the financing together, and then we went into production uh, about a year, a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, are they are they like film financiers, or are they just they're producers? producers. They're based producers. in Vegas. They're based in Vegas, yeah, cool. and they have the Vegas community kind of behind them. So uh, they've been doing this is their. I think fourth movie, and now they've done two more since then. They're, they're in production right now on another film. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they they met me through uh, Facebook. They Sick. saw a, uh, a teen comedy I directed years right. ago, and they were gonna, they wanted to do a teen comedy, and they right. said, you know, we saw your movie, respect. Um, and they said we want you to write this for us. And then we went back and forth, and finally I wrote this, uh, you know, silly college comedy that, that that Michael directed. And then after that, they brought me on to write and direct the next one, and, and this one. Oh wow! So the making of this was uh, went really well. It was um, it was a slightly bigger budget. Uh, I really wanted to do a straighter horror film. There's still a sense of fun and, and irony and, and and some humor in it, but it is yeah. much more of a uh, um, an unusual storyline, and I like that something different that you haven't seen all the time. Yeah. So we uh, we did casting. Uh, we did one day of casting, one day in L.A. and one day in Vegas, and. Uh, the Mahals were in charge of the Vegas auditions, and I, with uh, Esther Goodstein, who was a jack of all trades on the film, and a producer as well, and uh, Nicholas George, one of the producers, supervised the LA uh, casting session. And the Mahals found people and videotaped them in Vegas. I found people in LA, and then we sort of compared notes and went back and forth and found our cast to yeah. come back. Did you guys have a, any idea in mind who you wanted to be the leads like before it started? I had a few actors that I worked with that I knew. Okay. Um, I was uh, Robert Donovan, who plays um, the uh, the priest, uh, Father Mendel. Oh my God, he loves that priest role. He, yeah, he's, he's great. <laughs> he, um, I worked with him since '96. This was our twenty-something wow. film together, and he's always great. He's a wonderful character actor, and uh, he can, he can do anything comedy seriousness. Yeah. And I had a feeling he'd be really good for this role. <clears throat> the funny thing is, the, the Mahals also had somebody who I, who had worked with. In Bus Party, who's in the movie, he plays um, one of the people who's supposed to deliver the paintings, right. um, Johnny uh, Molinaro. Mm-hmm. And he, they wanted him for the priest. And I like John, but I felt his look was not quite, he looks, he kind of looks more like a biker dude, you know, yeah. than, a, than a priest. Right. So um, we made him another role, but Robert finally got the role. I had also, I had written scripts that uh, an actress named Jessica Morris, who plays um, 
Yeah. Uh, Zach's stepmother in the movie. Right. Um, and she's great. She's done tons of movies. Yeah. And I, I, awesome. I never directed her before, but I, I thought she'd be great for that role, so I wanted to bring her in. And she wound up getting the part. And um, Alex Reinhardt, who was also in my last film, The Black Room, I thought she might be very good for the part of Kim, who plays Zach's girlfriend in the film. She came in, did a great audition. The Mahals loved her. And then the last one was um, uh, Lucas Hassel, who was my lead in The Black Room as well, a film I did before this with Natasha Henstridge yeah. and Lynn Shea that's on Netflix now. Um, and I knew he'd be good. There were two roles we were considering him for, the father, Dylan, or the, um, the, the, the painter, the artist, uh, Dorian right. Wilde. And he liked both roles, but he really wanted to play the father more. I think he thought he could do more with that. The Mahals really loved him in, in Black Room, so we went back and forth on that. The biggest issue was he, was, he sagged, and we, were, we weren't sure for a while if we were going to be able to go sag or not with this film. So we didn't know if we could get him or not. And then we wound up going SAG, and, and it all worked out. Oh, sick. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And Zach, in your, your process of being casted in this, in this <clears> film, um, tell me about your process and how, how it went along. Well, um, at the time, I wasn't doing many auditions because there's not that many in Vegas, right? Um, but uh, I heard that the Mahals had another movie coming out after Bus Party to Hell. I uh, wasn't sure if I wanted to do it because it was like, you know, the first one was kind of slasher. I didn't know if there was going to be anything for me. Then uh, an actor in my class told me about it and told me about the role um, right. of this kid that was, you know, same age pretty much um, and an aspiring artist, which uh, is what I was trying to be as myself, right? Mm -hmm. So once I saw the script and saw the two, um, the two sides from, you know, Boy Next Door to uh, this... Um, this possessed, uh, aspiring artist full of filled with wrath. I was just like, oh, this is mine. <laughs> and I went in there, um, uh, turned Mr. Mahal's uh, head around. And how did, how did you meet Mr. Mahal? Uh, at, well, at the uh, audition room, honestly. Right. He was there. And, uh, so you applied was, via, how did you apply? Um, it was just, it was open calls. Oh, so Yeah, yeah okay. it was open calls on Facebook and just uh, showed up there and, uh, did what I did. In Vegas, how many actors are go to? I I can't I can't imagine if they did an open call in Los Angeles. Like that'll be at least a week long. Of it was open crazy. Call. Well, they, they did put out. That's the thing. The Mahals, you know, it's a it's a different process because the the L A. Yeah, the L A. film yeah. scene is different from Vegas, and they did that here too. Is they threw out on on Facebook to do open calls, and we we're trying to schedule people and. Mm -hmm. And I know Esther and I were like, no, this is not how you do it. You can't do that. <laughs> um, but we did have we did have from that some people coming to audition as well that were that were good. But it was like we only had one day, which was yeah. crazy. So it was yeah. They, yeah. It, it, it's not always the proper way to do it, but if the end result works, hey, whatever. Yeah. And how many submissions was it? Was like six thousand? Yeah, there were tons of submissions. Yeah, like, I, yeah I, I bet for guys are probably women submitting. I mean, like okay, like, I could be a Zach if I cut my hair, like. I bet you hear it all in Los Angeles in that type of market, but just the whole casting process, just run me through it pretty quick. Um, for my audition? Yeah, 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 just for um, audition. So yeah, I mean, like, t I just connected with the character as um, an aspiring artist and someone who wants to do something with himself. And uh, for me, that was just like, you know, I just t tagged uh, the uh, Dorian Wilde, which is the, you know, the, the painter. Okay. And... Um, aspiring to be him and wanting to be in just using that that fire within you yeah. to kind of build that wrath so for me i just kind of like 
broke it down for a day, went in there, and I gave it my all. Like I, I left nothing on the table. Were you in the room too? No, that was that was what was scary. Was because I wasn't. <laughs> was we, we were really doing the same weekend. They were in Vegas, and I was in LA. And we originally talked about the callbacks, which is usually what you do when you yeah. whittle it down. You do callbacks, but they decided they the whole producer didn't want callbacks. And I, I mean, the actors who I auditioned and I worked with and I was comfortable with, but. There were a few in Vegas, like Zach, that I had never met, and I just saw the tape. And it's like, well, okay, the, the audition was good, but you want to see if they take direction. I mean, I, I you know, it's, it's, it, you know, I know a lot of people do electronic audition casting, which right. is fine for the first round, but I think it's very dangerous just to go by that and not actually like see if they can take direction and like, okay, change it up, take mm-hmm. the notes. And I wasn't allowed to do that with a few like Zach and Danny Tesla, who plays uh, who played Dorian in Vegas. Um, so that was sort of like rolling the dice and, and hoping because I didn't meet Zach until we actually did the pre-production table read in yeah. California right. uh, for the film, right. um, which I was surprised about too. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, I like Alex. I knew I'd worked with her; she was great, and I knew they would look to look well together as a boyfriend girlfriend, which is important. But you don't know will the chemistry be there? Will right. they actually? You know, it's like if it doesn't, and and it's very important in this movie. There's love has a big part of this film, especially with their characters, and you mm-hmm. need to get that across in the film because if you don't buy the relationship, right. it's you're not going to buy the film. Right. right. Problem I have with Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so um, yeah, that's uh, that so, was that. So that was the casting process for this. Zach gets casted, and, and as a director, you have all these actors together, and, and you have everything played out in your mind. How much of what played out in your mind played out from the first table read to your shooting date? It was pretty good. We, we I, I'm very big in pre-production, so I, I like to rehearse. And when I got to Vegas before we started shooting, I was able to get the whole cast to the location uh, where we were the main house. And while we were doing wardrobe fitting at the same time, I was literally going through the whole movie with the actors to every room oh, and blocking gotcha. it mm-hmm. and working it out and discussing the whole thing. I do very detailed shot lists. So I know exactly what I want. And I worked, the big thing was Michael Sue, who was our brilliant cinematographer on this film, I'd worked with on Party Bus. Right. And we had time to prep, prepare and discuss the visual feel of the movie. Because yeah. this movie, it, it's all about artistry and painters. And I'm like, it needs to be colorful. And we need, to, you know, the whole movie should be should look like a painting. There's, right. a, there's, it's a, there's a very stylized approach to the film on purpose. Uh, which was the opposite of Party Bus because I was just winging at the you know <laughs> seat of our pants. But this one, uh, the kind of feel I wanted really had to work itself out. So I like to give the actors the freedom to 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 discover their characters. I've always done an exercise, and I'm sure I told you too, is that I want all the cast to write their own bios. I mean, you have the script, you know what's there, but create your own. Where did you come from? Where did you go to school? Okay. What's your relationship? Because even if it's not in the movie, it'll answer a lot of questions for you and will help give you a full dimensional, you know, three dimensional right, character. Right. And I think that's a, a great help for, for, for all actors. You know, yeah. um, I've also done sometimes on, on the sign, I didn't do it on this one, but when I've worked with actors who haven't done a lot before, because exactly, this was one of your first, this is my first, first yeah, feature. feature yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes an actor get a lot of times in their own head because they're so concentrated on their words and their, their part, but so much of acting is reacting. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes like to mix it up and make the actors play different roles oh, nice. to jump the other part because that forces you to listen mm-hmm. to your other performer. Right. Mm-hmm. So it puts you in the scene versus right. getting too much like, what do I say next? What do I do next? And so locked into it. So 
Um, even though there's a, a good a good guideline and game plan to the movie, I do like those sparks of magic that happen. And on this film, it happened multiple times too. There were little things you find. That's a that's a Rolf Konevsky style. Yeah, yeah. yeah to get, like to let the actors be collaborators in the film. Were you, were you an actor? When I first started, I, I wanted to be a clown when I was like four years old. And then I, I like comedy, so I'm a comedian. And then I went to school. I went to HB Studios in New York City for acting. Right. Used uh, them for the performing arts. So I did start acting and doing plays in high school and things like that. But I was in some really bad productions. And the problem as an actor is that you have no control over the final product. You could do a great job, but if they edit it wrong or it just does something that doesn't work, the final result. Or they, they cut you. Or they cut you. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. So I was like, if you're going to put this much work into something, I want it to be good. Mm -hmm. So that's when I kind of moved away from acting more into the directing stage. I was always writing, but uh, I became much more the, the puppeteer on that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I, be, but it's great practice, and being an actor and doing improv and all that stuff is, is a great way to – so you can talk with actors and you can write dialogue that is – sayable you know because right. rather than you know it's like it feels like normal conversation yeah. i've never had actors complain about that it feels natural to them yeah and i always say to make it their own you know they, they, you know if you have to tweak a word or two i'm not aaron sorkin or david namick where it's you have to put every pause in every um, um, you know <laughs> yeah so piggyback off of what ralph was saying mm -hmm. what was your experience like working with ralph and pre um ralph was awesome um especially for me like since it was my first one, I was definitely nervous, you know, like what to expect, you know, my first big production. Um, what was your first nervous moment? Like, what do you, you remember your first, like, nervous? Well, I mean, first it day was of... really rocking, uh, first day of shooting, because um, I was just like, you know, just trying to figure out where I should be, don't stand in the way, you know, um, but be ready at the same time, and uh, just, I just know what to expect, so... Once we, but once we shot the first scene, I think it was on the, um, the balcony, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of just put me at ease. You oh, know, we had a good scene. We practiced it a couple of times before we went out there. Um, we did it. And then once that all worked out, uh, we did it. I just kind of whole just weight kind of lifted for me. I was like, oh, all right, we got that out of the and, way. And, and there, was, there was a trick to that, um, which I, 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 I know, picked yeah. up on. Yes. Yeah. It's the first scene that we shot with Alec, with uh, Zach is when he's introducing Kim, his girlfriend, to his parents for the first time. Right. So he's supposed to be nervous and uncomfortable. So uh, I use that yeah. in that first scene. I said, let's start nice. with that scene because he feels that way. So it, it'll feel natural. And, yeah, and so. I knew that too. Just kind of like, well, I'm, not, I'm just going to use this that I have yeah. inside me and just like let it go and just see what right. happens. And, it worked out well. So after that first scene, you were you're cool, you're calm. Yeah. Um, did, were you ever like reaching to remember lines? I know a lot of actors like if you haven't done a feature film or you have a big lead yeah. or anything, you're in your head from day one from the jump, and a lot of times it's trying to remember the lines and then putting it into the character and doing what the director tells me. Yeah. What was what was being calm for you? What was that process like after being calm? Um, after being calm, I mean, it was just, just listening, I think, uh, for me, when we're doing our scenes, um, that's the only way I, I feel like I can remember a line, <laughs> yeah. um, cause I'm, I'm not good at memorizing lines or right. lyrics. You tell me a song, I'm like, I don't know, but you, I hear it and I go with it and I'm like, okay, I get Same. it, you know, I'm, I cannot do any song acapella, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would never work, but yeah, so it was just listening and, um, uh, um, what would you say? Yeah, I guess just listening. Yeah. yeah and one, and there's, there's actually there's a great scene in the movie where um, Zach meets Dorian Wilde in his own world at mm -hmm. one point. And 
Zach has no dialogue in the whole scene. It's it's pretty much a huge monologue. It's a very theatrical sequence in a lot of ways. And scene. But it's a wonderful scene because Zach is just as powerful in the scene without one line of dialogue by all the reactions to what he's watching and listening to mm-hmm. around, you know, uh, Danny Tesla playing Dorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a great uh, example of watching an actor who, without saying a word, can, can you know, be as good or better or steal a scene. You know? yeah. That's why, you know, there's some, you know... When actors start up, you know, they get a script and they basically go through the script and see how many lines they have. And it's like, you're doing it wrong. Like, it's not about the lines. Like, look how much screen time you have and mm-hmm. figure out what you can do with a little yeah, bit. And you might be able to steal everything from that. Mm-hmm. I always go back to uh, a famous, I love the movie, Beverly Hills Cop with uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. You remember the scene in the art gallery with uh, Bronson Pinchall? Well, yeah. And you know, he's, in, he's in two little scenes of that movie and he walked away with... And Eddie Murphy loved him. It was like, yeah, it's I funny. I don't remember. He, I don't remember him being. I just remember. I remember that's there. They were in that location. That little scene. He's playing this sort of flamboyant gay art okay. thing, and he's like, and he, and he did the voice, the whole mannerism, but he's hysterical in the scene. Yeah. And he and then he let him have that scene, and, and everyone talked about him, and that sort of put him on oh, the map. Wow, I see. So again, no such thing as small actors, small roles. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, from 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 the page from the cover of the DVD, I see Tara Reed in there. Um, small actor, small roles. She was a household name before. How did she get into this film? What was your? What was? What is the direction of it? I don't want to sell it out. I don't sure, want to sure. sell it out for me. Um, well, ta- well, okay. Tara, Tara Reed. Um, our two name actors in the movie right. were Tara Reed and Richard Grieco. Tara, um, the Mahals reached out to on Party Bus, and she had a uh, a cameo in that movie as well. And she was fun, and she did a good job. So they wanted. To, to keep her along on this one, there was only one role that really made sense, which is the art gallery owner for the film. Right. Totally different role from Party Bus, but um, they had they had already known her manager and known her, so they brought her on board for, uh, you know, she's, she's scattered throughout the film, but it really was shot in, in one long, long day with her. Um, and Richard Grieco, they looked around, they wanted another name in there too, and they were able to reach out to him. He's an artist as well as an actor, and he's been around from 21 Jump Street, and you know, the movies Mobsters and It Looks Could Kill and Booker right. and all that stuff. And um, he, he loved the script and it, he's, he really is the opening of the film and then he pops up a little bit, but he's, he's got the whole beginning of the movie. So both of the actors, you know, liked the material and came in and, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't need to work too much with Tara because she, she kind of knew what she was doing. Um, it was the first day of the shoot which was difficult because there was a lot to be shot at the art gallery. We had lots of extras and there was a lot of dialogue. And so she had to get through all that stuff, but she came off, comes off well in the final version of the movie. Nice. And Richard came in. I remember him and that was actually the last day we shot, even though that's the opening of the film. Um, (laughs) Nothing's in order. And he liked the role, but he, I think he flew in. He was really tired when he arrived and you know, his energy just wasn't there yet. And I think, you know, they both have done a lot of, you know, they had their bigger movies and now they do a lot of independent films and depending on the budgets and the things, you can see if they're really into it or not, you know. And Richard liked it, but um, he wasn't giving it his all yet. So I did a lot of takes with him. And when he saw what we were doing with the camera and what we were doing with and he realized what I was trying to do, he sort of came up to it and, you know, I just got him to that emotional level that I needed him to do. And and he does a great job in the film. I I told him, I said, this opening is almost like, a five-minute Twilight Zone episode starring you, and it's all about you. Yeah. And when he realized that, I said, "Yeah, you, it, it makes it either makes or doesn't make from your performance." And, right. And he added a lot too, and and 
Yeah, I thought the, it turned out great. Really sets the tone. Yeah. Sets the tone of the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, I'm all the suspense to watch this movie now. <laughs> um, no, I can't, you just give like a lot of wisdom and, and knowledge just to all this community. I'm just like in awe listening to this. <laughs> oh, sure. um, Zach, and how many days did you shoot? Do you remember how many days you uh, shot? I think a total of eighteen. You were on almost all film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, two weeks for sure of the main uh, shooting, and then we had a couple things that we had to do, like um, the final or the scene with Dorian Gray and his in world, which is yeah, that was the one pickup we hadn't done yeah. from the first production. It was mm -hmm. <laughs> when we went into. I mean, this was a. It wasn't. We didn't have no budget, but it was a low budget film, right. and it was very ambitious. When you see the amount of, because oh, yeah. also all the effects, almost I think ninety five percent of the effects are practical. Yeah. Including creatures and makeup and blood. Yeah. I mean, I like to do it in camera. It's not all CGI, so you really and it's. We hired a great uh, makeup person who I'd worked with before, effects person Vincent Cassini, who's been on Requiem for a Dream and right. uh, uh, Last of the Mohicans, and he's done all the Kevin Smith movie. He's a big professional. Which is the beauty of this film. That yeah, that's everything's practical. Yeah, it's all practical. So it takes time to do that. So when I wrote the script, I, I said the, the, the shooting schedule should be about 18 days. And the Mahals were like, well, let's do it in 15. I'm like, I try to do it in 15, but it really is 18 days. They thought it was going to be a much simpler film than Party Bus, because Party Bus was in the desert, but it was all in one bus in one location. This one is all over the place over a period of days with, uh, lots, of blood. with lots of blood, with, <laughs> with, with crazy locations too, and recreations and right. pool parties. And I mean, it's, it's, it's much bigger, but they... Thought, well, we're in houses, so it's a lot easier to do the film. It's like, no. And then they realized, oh, yeah, it's not, not easy to do the movie. Where was, this, where was the location? It was Vegas. We shot okay. all around Vegas. Oh, uh, cool. Found great locations in Vegas. You were living in Vegas, then? Right? I was living in Vegas, too. So that was kind of cool. My first feature. Um, yeah, take it. Yeah. With Tara Reid, Richard Creek goes in it, too. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, it felt cool. Right, I was, I was living, in Vegas, so. Yeah, living our dream. And my car made the movie, too. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember I remembered I did a TV show in New York, and my car made it, the movie, and I was like, yes. Yes. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's our. proud father, right? <laughs> your proud father, charger man. I had a charger. It was a cop show. Anyway, um, so so after the after last day of this this movie, what was the feeling uh, after? Because it's now out of your hands, out of your control. Are you anxious about, or you just like leave it and then you move on? Um, well, I mean, I was definitely tired, <laughs> um, right? Because we were shooting. I mean, we were getting maybe six, five hours at best to sleep in between days, um, wow. just because. The actors and I would be so excited after a sh day of shooting that yeah. we were talking about it, you know, and then we realized, oh, we got to be on set in like five hours. We haven't slept yet. Wow. So, um, so we were doing that a lot. And then, um, but finally when it was done, I just like went home and just slept for a bit and kind of just, I don't know what you want to call it, um, shed that, you know, yeah. the, the character off, I guess, in yeah. a way. Um, uh, which, but I was very, you know, also sad that we had to leave because we came with like such a family at that time. So, but um, yeah, I kind of just just slept it off and then had to deal with life from there. And then realized life, life after a feature film, right? Well, yeah. How, how did how, 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 on a personal note, yeah. how did you bounce back? You know, after take that time off and you start back looking. You know, I I know the ground. Me and you, like we sat down, we had we had coffee shop yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. Now on your career now, so talk to me about this film. And does it give you momentum? Does it give you like what does it give? Well, you? it made me move to LA. Right. Um, I had a room that opened up. I have a buddy's been trying to get me down here, and he said, "Hey, I have another room opening up uh, next month." And you know, I told him 
let me sleep on it. And the next day, and this was in the middle of shooting, like maybe fourth, fifth day, I think. And I told him, like, I'm going to take it because I'm not losing this opportunity. And that was like, once I knew that, that was like the momentum to get out here and like to actually, um, you know, start going to classes and talking to people, networking, you know, with you, uh, my buddy Chris, you know, now with Amy and everything. So, yeah, that was a huge jump for me to yeah. finally do it. And I was nervous. <laughs> yeah. I was really nervous, but so, it worked yeah, out. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and Ralph, for you, I mean, and when you say you work with, uh, I want to I pull back on, you work with actors and you you feel comfortable with actors you've worked with in the past. Is that something across the director's community? Is that something that happens a lot? You work with a lot of actors that, they book actors that you worked with before? Well, I like to, you know, in old Hollywood, you know, people had a team of, of, of actors and crew people that you worked with. And then it, it, if you get along well, you, you, it's good to work with the same people. You don't want to make the same movie over and over again, but you have a group like with Robert Donovan and a few people that I've worked with many, many times, you know. So you find the ones that are right. You know, you can't always work with everyone you want to every movie because it just doesn't work out that right. way. But um, you try to make a little community out of it and you stay in touch if you can. And it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing because yeah, you become a very closely, you know, knit family for those, you know, five, you know, three, four weeks that you're shooting a movie and then... For the director, at least for me, because I'm very hands-on, I became post-production supervisor on the film. So I was involved during the entire edit. I was there for every day of editing and then the uh, music and sound effects and the mixing. And so I'm on the film. And that's the thing that when I first talked to the Mahals, you know, as a director, they're like, well, you know, we, you know you're just coming for two weeks and then, you know, we pay you for that. He's like, no, no, the director's going to be on the movie for like a year. <laughs> you know, I mean, for a real movie, you're on the movie. You know, you just you have to spend the time to do it. You know, there's... There's some directors who just shoot it and then walk away, and they let the post people finish the film. But if you're if it's if you're making your movie, you know you're there. Scorsese is there doing his films. Spielberg makes his films, you know. So I'm one of those kind of directors. So I spend the time and want to make sure everything is just right. He was <laughs> in there for the ADR. Yeah, ADR. Oh no, and there was one part that I wasn't there for. Yeah. So. Um, even the, the the poster design in the back of the video box I designed and then yeah. no, it was the, cool, the, man. The, you know, it's like trying to and then trying to get the special features and the commentary tracks and the, right. you know, trying to put all the bells and whistles there because you know, the the, the aspect that of course nobody thinks about is that when you shoot a movie, that's that's hard enough, but then comes the hurdle of how do you get it seen by people? Finding distribution, getting it out there. That's something no one, talk, you know. Right. There's plenty of movies that are run sitting on shelves or played film festivals that you never hear from again. Correct. So it's like, how do you get, how do you jump that film this out is, there? And this is your baby that you put the yeah. 80, 80 yards in. It always is. And then you have to be there now. And so I'm, I'm still with it. I'm, I'm writing other scripts and working on things, but I'm every day. You know, we hired a PR person promoting this thing, spreading the word on Facebook, right. doing podcasts like this, you know, yeah. trying to talk it up and advertise and, you know, let people know about the film. Right. You can make a great film, but if nobody sees it, you know, like that, that is exactly works. kind of what we were talking about today. And I was, I was talking to Zach because I've, I've, tomorrow we're going to start an actors group, maybe like six actors. I have a couple actors, with, including Zach. Okay. And we're going to work on some material, you know, and put our content on our tapes and everything, shoot it in the studio here, and just work on it amongst each other every week. And a lot of, you see a lot of musicians, and all your friends who are musicians, you know they play music. But a lot in the acting world, like we have a lot of friends who don't even, have never seen us act. Mm -hmm. You know, as as just coming up, there's a lot of actors who've never seen you act, and there's some actors who are big name actors who their friends have never seen them act as well too. So 
just even to get the exposure and when we have all these platforms as TikTok, there is LinkedIn, there is Facebook, there is everything. Um, I think that we should all put it out there and a lot of us are just so afraid of and it's very vulnerable to put your talents out there. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, there's a line I've always loved. Um, I think I heard it in a movie once, but they said, uh, they were talking about potential. And this falls into every artist. They said, um, as long as you never do anything, you always still have it. And I think that's the fear that stops so many people from from taking that chance or giving that shot because they're afraid if they fail, they, you know, they're, 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 what they think is potential, you know, would be gone. Yeah. So they don't want right. to show it or say it or do it, you know, because that, that's the, you know, the reality check or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I spoke to a girl and, she, and her, and her response was like, what if my manager see me doing something that's like bad? I'm like, <laughs> you know what he's even seeing doing, you doing anything that's good anyway. Yeah. So best for me, even if I did a tip that not everybody's going to like, Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I might do a tip that it might, the right person might see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I honestly believe that we should just break out to this 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 feeling. And I don't know how it is in the director's world, but for the actor's world, we have this block right now that's mm-hmm. like, we just want to keep it within our acting classes. Which, and, yeah, it's sad because I have so many friends in Vegas that, um, that were actors before me, or, you know, serious actors and have done plays and are amazing. Like, especially in my acting class back in Vegas, and I would always wonder in my head, like, why aren't they in L.A.? Like, right. what is going on? I never understood it until I went to L.A. and started understanding, like, oh, they're just afraid. Like, they're afraid yeah. to put themselves out there. And, and for me, like, I knew I wasn't as good as them, so I'm just like, <laughs> just get out there. Just <laughs> well, go. It's the fear in, like, a lot of these small places. Like, you know, you could be a big fish in a small pond, or you could be a small fish in a giant ocean. Mm-hmm. And if you move to New York or LA, that's you're in a whole different world, and, right? You know, but you, you have to have a thick skin, and it's a matter of like. But if you're serious and you really want to take a shot at doing it, I've always said, anyone who moves to LA to become an actor or whatever, you have to at least give it three years. Yeah. If you're not giving it three everyone's years, every single person a, that's been the common time period I've heard yeah. from everyone. Three, yeah, you three have at least three years. Because if you don't, then you're not really giving it a shot. I right. mean, the overnight sensations are, are a myth. You know, yeah. It's like, you know, once you hit it, you're like, you know, after 20 years, it was an overnight sensation, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, yeah exactly. Um, and I think that's it. You know, the longer you stand, I mean, I've been out here now for, you know, over 25 years, plugging away. I'm, I've been able to make a lot of movies, but I haven't hit the studio level, and, you know, you're never quite where you'd like to be. I'm still, it's always still a struggle for time and budget. But, um, but that dream is still alive. But it's still alive. And, and I prefer to, the more you do, the better you get. Right. So, I mean, there's some people that like, look, if I don't have $5 million to make this, I'm not going to make this movie, it, yeah. and they don't make anything for 20 years. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, actors who are, you know, uh, you know, their day job is a waiter, and, you know, that's what they do because it's not quite hitting that thing. So you, you should just go out for everything, and, mm-hmm. you know, and then, yeah, there's a lot of, there's good material, bad material, but if you have at least one or two decent scenes in, the, in a movie, you know, that you can use for your reel, yeah. you know, do it. You know, don't be oh, afraid. Oh, you could even just shoot it. your reel with your homies yeah. on, on a nice camera. You, you rent a camera, it. you go to Sammy's. Mm-hmm. One of these people, uh, there's so many people coming out of the USC, UCLA, even if you're in Vegas, yeah. one person, you just project what is, just even Google what a good reel looks like mm-hmm. and you just replicate that but with your own talents and skills and you put it out there and then everyone can find you. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's better than no reel. Right. Or not even putting it out there. I've also recommended uh, trying to become friendly with, uh, obviously, casting directors. Yeah. Um, the one great thing, too, if you're a casting director, you can offer saying, could I, could I sit in on the table re- on, on the auditions 
on the other side, reading against other actors. Right. Because when you do that, you get to see yes. what actors, other actors do, what they both, what they, what's good, what's bad, the mistakes yeah. they make. You know, you, you kind of get it from another point of view, and right. it'd be very helpful for you yeah. as an actor. I worked with a few casting directors like that over the years, where they would bring people in, and then if they think there's something right for them, they say you should audition for this too. So, yeah. how how could this under the table? How could you get an actor without being pushy or pressing? Uh, connect in in your eyes. How can an actor connect with maybe a casting director, or maybe a director, just so they didn't know who they are? In LA, I mean, going through proper channels, I guess showcases are sometimes the best thing. You put together showcases, and then you add, and then sometimes casting directors do go to these things, and okay. they find they see people at, at certain places, and you connect with them, give them a card, or stay in contact with them. You get emails, you just sort of put it out there. I've always said. Although it's harder now, the American film market that takes place in November every year is a great way to network yes. and meet and people and talk because there's a lot of people down there, producers as well as other people. So, um, you know, certain things like that. I mean, theater in, you know, there's a big difference between theater in L.A. and theater in New York. You know, you know, to, to, if you want to be a theater actor, L.A. is probably not the place to do it. You know, it's more like the New York thing because mm -hmm. the prestige is 100% different, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I, and I've seen some shows in L.A. and I've seen a couple good ones, but a lot of times it's like this is just not. Yeah, um, and I used to go to some showcases, and you'd find every now and then someone at those things. But um, you found you found an actor too at showcases before. I've, I've been interested in actor too at showcases. I mean, now, I mean, when you've been doing it long enough and you know so many people, it's easy. But you still put on an ad in you know L.A. casting, or you know there was now casting, so now it's all electronic submissions and things right, like yeah. that. Um, the headshot is still the key. You know, the, the, if you have the right look for the part. I mean, that's what they look at before anything else. You know, the training and all the other stuff, you need to have the look. But I always look for actors who have theater background and, um, and improv because yeah. comedy, you know, is the hardest thing to do, you know, a lot of times. And if you can do comedy, you can do drama. So I know if I find somebody who understands the comic beats and things like that, you can easily go back and forth. Whereas a dramatic actor doesn't necessarily do yeah, comedy, comedy great. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a harder thing to teach is the timing of comedy. Um, so, so that's one of the things. And then also theater because you learn to pronunciate and, uh, you know, project, project. Mm -hmm. and that's a lot of times people come from television or soaps and they mumble everything and you can't hear it. And, you know, I, I like, you know, I love the film in the forties, you know, the, you know, Cary Grant movies and, you know, Howard Hawks and, yeah. you know, they, they talked at a clip and you can hear every word and it's very precise and it's, and it's fast. Mm -hmm. And I tend to write kind of banter, fast dialogue in my script. So I look for that kind of pacing and. There's an energy to that kind of thing. And I yeah. think when you see Art of the Dead and, and a lot of my other films, you'll see that energy. Right. I'm, just, kind of I'm making notes right now. Moved. I'm making <laughs> notes right now. All right, Zach, uh, if you, if, I know you started your journey. You moved from Las Vegas mm -hmm. to Los Angeles. And yeah. You had this feature film, and you know it's amazing to just have something that you could hold as, I was in this. You know, like This is history right Wait, here, right? Card. Yeah, no, but it's history. It's a great rookie card to have, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's an A-list. That's a gold star rookie card to have. Yeah, yeah. But Maybe just, all in the first movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what, what advice you would have for people, you know, from Las Vegas or from different parts of America and they're not in Los Angeles yet, not in New York, mm -hmm. and they're chasing this dream just as you are on this dream with me as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what advice you would have for people? Um, what's the first, like, five things that come to mind? Um, well, you know, just keep going to acting class where you're, wherever you live. Keep going. Um, that's a huge thing. Like, keep working on it. Um, save money. <laughs> you know, save your money. Start saving for when you're ready to make that move. 
that's what I was doing the whole time for at least two years when I started doing class. I had no idea when I was going to go, but I just started saving for when it's going to happen. Um, and then also, I mean, coming from small towns and coming to a big city, uh, I think uh, mental health is a huge thing. And I think it's, uh, you got to be ready, you know, you got to be a, pretty solid because when you're by yourself, you don't really have, you know, somebody to talk to, you know, it, it becomes tough. I mean, my first, um, I think, few months were pretty tough just, you know, being by myself. I mean, I just broke up with my girlfriend, too, at the same time, so it was kind of like... Double whammy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but... Um, it happens, though. It happens, yeah, and, you know, you get through it. You, uh, I mean, for me, I meditate. I, um, I do a lot of self-development books, you know, that I listen to or read, and I think those help me as an actor as well because I'm... It's, it's helped me to find myself. You know, I don't think I've even fully, I mean, we're always still finding ourselves, right? You know, or learning new things about ourselves. So um, I think all, being conscious of that and being aware of that is huge as an actor. Right. So, mm -hmm. so I, I'd say I agree. I, you need to find a support system. It's, mm -hmm. If you come out here without it, when I, when I first moved to California, I had a few actor friends who were in my movie come out first. So I, and I had been coming out and visiting a few times. So I met filmmakers and a group that I could hang out with, which I think is very important because you need a reality check too. You need people who will give you a straight answer because this town will kill you with compliments. <laughs> there was um, the, the, the biggest difference, and, and I, this was great when I got to, when I, before I moved here, there was an article in the paper and it said the difference between LA and New York. Um, can you curse on this thing? Or not? Yeah, you kiss it. Yeah, you kiss it. <laughs> so the, the line was, you know, in LA, in, in New York, they say yes. In L.A., they say maybe. In New York, they say no. In L.A., they say maybe. In L.A., they say, thank you for bringing that to our attention. In New York, they say, oh, shit. <laughs> and that's the difference. There's a directness. You can get an answer, right. but you don't get it here because nobody wants to give you their opinion because nobody's confident enough until everybody else gives their opinion because they don't want to look bad right. or good. So you get this kind of, you PC. know, like a PC kind yeah. of, you know, and, and then uh, behind your back, they say all the real things They're, about you. You need to find people that will, will, you know, will set you straight and say this was good, this was bad, you know, and give you, you know, real criticism yeah. because you can just sort of flounder around out here, you know. Waste time and money. And time, you know, all the time. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's so many scam, you know, hacking things yeah. that, you know, oh. trying to get actors so, money. So this, this, this is exactly why I put this podcast together for actors and this is not only actors because I'm going to ask you about directors soon, yeah. but just actors in general because there are a lot of scams, as you just said. And I'm bringing on professionals and people working in the industry to just give their piece of advice so that it would help somebody instead of them spending, you know, 600 bucks on headshots when at that time they don't even know if they're getting into acting and they spend all that money before they even oh, yeah. just get like two basic headshots first, mm -hmm. you know, and you could land a feature film, you never know, you know, so... Um, you know, probably your headshot probably didn't cost you $600 to get to book this job, you yeah. know, so... Um, and I'll... So you, Ralph, um, for aspiring directors or someone, you know, in college right now, USC, UCLA, all those schools, per se, um, what advice do you have some to for those people coming up and about their techniques, about directing a, a feature film? Because it's like, as you said, it's you just explained so long and so much time you put on there. Um, I, I don't know if anyone knows how much hard work it takes to do what you did. Um, so if you could just give some advice well, yeah, sure. and talk about it. The, um, I, 
I, I knew pretty young that I wanted to be in film. I mean, by 14, I got a video camera and I was shooting home movies and I yes. was very tunnel vision dedicated to this thing. I started, uh, my father, who was a film editor, mostly documentaries, but uh, he got me on a few sets as a PA, which I think is great. You need to get on movie sets. There's right. a big difference, at least there was, between the academic world and the professional world. And you can take courses and read books and all that stuff, but that does not really prepare you at all for it. You need to be out on the set, see how it works, see how the uh, relationships and all the positions are. And I did that. I, was, uh, I worked on craft service. I was a production assistant on many low-budget films. I did some grips and gaffers for Troma Entertainment back in New York. So I was doing all this before I even went to college. I was 16. I was doing the summers, spending my summers. And I was also shooting my own home movies. And you learn more by doing your own movie than by anything. You'll, right. you'll learn a thousand percent times more, you know, by, yeah. by actually doing something. So back then, though, I mean, we had video cameras. Now the technology's gotten, I mean, people shoot on cell phones. Now every, you can make a movie. You can make a short. You can do anything. But it's better to do something than just to talk about doing something. Correct. You know, that's the big thing that people are in development, but they don't actually do it. So you just have to keep doing, you know, and you're going to learn the more you do and you'll meet more people. So you just got to get out there because if you're, yeah, if you're really just reading books, I mean, watching movies, reading scripts are helpful, but you, you got to have firsthand experience. And the teacher in a class won't really, if they give you the equipment, I mean, that's the best thing about like USC and you get equipment and you meet people, you go out and you shoot something, you know, but it's the, um, the, the, just the theoret theoretical theories of the making movies is it's not the same. I mean, I and I took writing courses and they were helpful. You know, I did little writing courses here and there, but you know, there's no end all rule of what works. I mean, everyone writes in a different process. Some some people can write. You know, John Hughes wrote uh, Breakfast Club in five days. Uh, Paul Scheider wrote uh, Taxi Driver in a weekend. And you know, there's many courses that say it'll take you at least one year to write a good script. You know, that's ready to show people. It's like, well, yes, and I mean, you know, but a lot of times you'll be writing in your head and then you can just, sure. you know, vomit up the whole thing overnight. I'm a, I've always been a very fast writer, you know, which just comes naturally. So I've written a lot of scripts and I jump around. Um, but there's no, that's like, this is right, this is wrong. Correct. So you just have to do it. I think it's a big thing with like not judging yourself um, with your writing, right? I mean, yeah. As an actor, people do judge themselves and I think that's what blocks them from doing things they're afraid that it's going to be awful instead right. of just doing and going through the process and if it's bad it's bad i mean you now you're going to get better the next time you make another one and finish everything you start that's always been like mm. that a lot of times people especially with writing is they start a script and they write 10 or 15 pages and then they go back and they rewrite it and they rewrite it and they rewrite it and then they just stop and they can't get through it it's like barrel through at one point you're going to hate it you always do but get to the end no matter what you're doing because also, if you want to be professional and you need to be trusted with money from a producer, you know they need to know that they, you can give them a product. Sure, yeah. So if it's a short film, if it's a feature, if it's a script, if it's whatever, you got to finish it, reach the end, because it'll be a great practice for yourself, and it shows the yeah. dedication, because it's yeah. that's what's the difference between a hobby and a profession. Mm. Yeah. Nice. And well, this podcast is called One Thousand Failures, and oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I believe that every every failure failure that we get. Just pushes us one step closer to success. So, uh, Ralph, just from your experience and your ups and downs, what has your downs taught you? Uh, well, you have to be okay. So, first off, you you have to be happy with what you're doing. You're you, you you're going to spend whatever time it's going to take to do a film. You know, year, two years, or whatever you're making. If you don't like what you're doing, 
and at the end, you know, let's say, you know, you're doing something because you think it's going to be successful or you're just using it for something else, but you don't particularly like it and then it's not successful and you don't like it, then you really feel like you just wasted all your time and energy on something that you don't even want to watch or look right. at. So as yourself, you have to be satisfied with what you're doing. Right. You know? I mean, you can take jobs for money. I mean, there's things, you know, everyone has to do something that might not be their, their, their favorite thing, but you find the way that you like it or what you can get out of it or the, the, the plus points for it to make it worthwhile for you. And you, t- you treat it as a learning experience anyway, but you, you gotta be satisfied. For, so satisfy yourself first. Um, then when it comes to commerciability, you know, the one rule about California, which is true, is that nobody knows anything. That, you know, everyone can predict, but if they did, every movie would be a hit. So nobody knows what's going to be a hit, what's going to be not. You don't know when the movie's going to open or how it's going to open or if there's something that's going to happen in the world that suddenly takes the emphasis off your movie. So the timing is wrong. I mean, I've had that. I mean, I've got hundreds of horror stories doing this for a long time, but, you know, my, my first film... I made a horror comedy when I was 20 years old when I did my first movie, so I was pretty young. And it turned out to actually become a cult classic over the year called There's Nothing Out There. It just got released on Blu-ray this year. Oh, 30th anniversary, amazing. Congrats. But when we opened the film up, I mean, it was it was a comedy horror film, so first off, you get the, well, it's too funny to be scary, it's too scary to be funny, we don't know what it is. Whenever you're trying to cross genres, it's, you know, just, you know, that's confusing, so people don't get it. Then we got enough press, we got some good reviews, we played film festivals, finally got it released for a week in New York City in January during the blizzard and a Super Bowl Sunday. And then we moved to California and we were playing Midnights in April of 92, building up an audience, and then the LA riots happened. And there was a curfew over the town, no midnight showings, and that was the end of that. (laughs) So you're like, well, that sucks. You know, I mean, but this is what happens. I mean, and the movie still... Managed to get on HBO and get out there and find an audience, and then 30 years later, people are still talking about this movie. It was slow in the coming, you know, but um, you know, after 30 years, people appreciate it and, and, and nice. so, so you you gotta you get you're 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 in for the long haul, <laughs> kind yeah, of you know yeah. you you gotta be like, and there's so many, uh, you know, if you go back to the examples, uh, the two two famous films, the two films that bombed when they came out were The Wizard of Oz, and It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. They did not make money. The critics didn't like them. They thought Wonderful Life was sappy and two, you know, things. And Frank Capra, who directed the movie, went to Jimmy Stewart and said, well, look, you know it's a good film. I know it's a good film. One day they'll realize it's a good film. <laughs> and now, of course, it's one of the most famous you know, yeah. films of all time. So, you know, don't don't be so persuaded by people saying, you know, be confident in yourself. You have to have an ego and know what you did is good and be proud of what it is because people love to knock you down and, and, and make you feel like a failure and you're making the wrong mistakes and stuff like that. But... You have to stick to your guns, figure, remember what your vision was in the first place, and you just barrel through that, and you kind of take the rejection and strike. You know, if you're too sensitive, you'll be destroyed. You know, yeah, well and, said, well and people said. love to build you up too tight to, to knock you down. That's how this world works. Yeah, well said. Zach? What? How do you follow that up? Um, <laughs> How's your feelings towards you? And, and then tell us where we could find this film. And where all my listeners could all find this. Tell us about me. Wait, what was the first part? The... Tell, 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 just talk a little bit about how your failures got you and helped you up in today's world. Um, in today's world, um, how I became an actor or how I became... Just how all the failures you... All your failures. Dance, your failures. 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 Sorry. Right. <laughs> like, sorry. Uh, all my failures. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. My, my story is different. I, was a, I played hockey and golf growing up. Um, you know, I played on the golf team for St. Francis College. Um, and just didn't really find my place, obviously not pro, um, with that. 
Uh, did well though, and got my scholarship and everything. And then after, um, didn't know what I wanted to do after college, honestly. Um, went back to Vegas, started doing sales in um, financing mortgages. Right. And uh, after a few years of that, I realized I hated it. Um, I just, I started losing losing myself. Honestly, um, I wasn't happy anymore. I was very irritable. It was just a lot of stuff was going on. Right. Um, then like a big life changing event happened for me. And I decided to, I realized that I need to stop this, what I'm doing. Um, all the bad habits and um, not wanting to be, a, you know, not wanting to finance really for the long run. You know, it's my job, you know, right now still as an assistant. But uh, I finally made a jump to go to acting class and see if I really like that. Because my whole life I went to, I did acting class in school, you know, um, as electives and everything in high school. And then I got a, a minor in communications and I pretty much did all the acting classes for that. Um, so I always flirted with the idea of being an actor. I always loved Jim Carrey growing up. I love how much of a goofball he is. Right. In real life, you know me, and I'm comfortable around you. I'm a complete goofball, right. and I love to have fun. Um, so when I finally made that jump, um, I just told myself, you're not going to become famous overnight. You know, because that's, I think, what everyone thinks of when they're an actor. Like, is they don't realize how long it's going to be. Right, the process. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not even in L.A., <laughs> you know? So I, for two years, solid two years, I'm, I'm, I'm going to study this. I'm going to study. I'm going to put all my heart into it. I had a great coach named Adam Hill out in Las Vegas. He's an older man, well, uh, also taught by Stella Adler herself, um, a theater, big um, stage actor back in the day. And he just taught me all just the, the organic um, elements of acting, you know, right. so I just, it was really slow with me, you know, how to talk to me, tell me what I need to hear in order to become the actor that I'm today. Um, and then uh, once I got the movie, that was my big jump to come over here and now we're going to journey. Yeah, journey. Yeah, it's the journey. So tell us where we could find Art so, of Dead. You can find Art of the Dead um, at your local Walmart and uh for what 9.96 too yes it's ten dollars yeah it's cheap you know <laughs> like but it's it's a it's a parking ticket so yeah you can find it at walmart or you can also rent and buy it on amazon amazon prime um, everyone has amazon Prime. everyone has an amazon you don't have amazon I don't so know log on right now streaming right now art of the dead and you would see the directing by rolf Mm -hmm. and some acting by Zach and um, some famous faces. So, yeah. thanks, guys. Yes. It's been thanks. awesome. And Thanks for having us. Amazing. Yeah. Good, good pieces of wisdom. Oh. And this is yes. yours. Yeah. Oh, no, same. don't. <laughs> uh, no, I am still purchasing it. That's why I support everybody who I know. So yeah. I, this is probably just going to stay here. copy you can give to somebody else. This, this is probably going to stay here or just stay around on, <laughs> on, the, on, on, the, on the wall. So you thank go. you, guys. The thank last you. thing I'll say, though, is uh, with the journey is that remember to enjoy the journey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone's always like the final result going to it, then they don't enjoy the journey. If you don't enjoy the journey, What's the point? You, yeah, you, and you may not ever get to where you want to go on the thing. So if you're not enjoying the journey, yeah. you can say, I wasted everything. Exactly. So you got to, you know. Stop and smell the roses. Yeah. <laughs> this man just shooting our ways. Yeah. All right, guys. Awesome. Take care. Yeah. And thank you, guys. That was episode 14 with Rolf and Zach. What an amazing podcast. You guys shared so much information, so much knowledge. Thank you, guys. And go get Art of the Dead. I haven't seen it yet. So go see it. Tell me how it is. Leave a review. 
I know you can get it on Amazon. Um, I'm sure I'm going to leave a link where you could find it on this podcast episode. But go get it. Go support the artist. Go support the director. And let me know how it is. And if you're listening to this, I would love if you could just share this podcast with your friends. Let them know that this podcast exists. And I don't have a big marketing budget. I always say that. So everyone who's listened to this has shared my podcast and has helped it grow. So thank you guys. Love you guys for listening. I'm out.